Well, I want to continue with the message that I uh, started on last week, which I entitled something like, Jesus the Great I Am. And so let's turn to John chapter 8. Gospel of John chapter 8. Jesus was talking to some Jewish people, scribes and Pharisees and others here. And uh, they really were not uh, wanting to hear what he had to say. They kept emphasizing that Abraham was their father. And Jesus said, if Abraham was your father, you'd be listening to me. Um, And they kept insisting Abraham was their father. So in the midst of this dialogue, or towards the end of it, we have these amazing verses. We'll start with verse 56. So John 8, 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. The Jews therefore said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly. When Jesus wanted to emphasize something, he'd always say, Truly, truly. I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So we began last time to look at this amazing statement, this great I am statement that Christ made. And we'll look at a few more of these because this is not the only time that he used this divine name related to himself. But just to get a feel for what we're talking about, I just want to reemphasize some of the main points that we looked at last time by showing why, why this is, to show why this is such an amazing statement. Yeah, and to do that, you have to go back to the Old Testament and see where it came from. So, uh, let's turn back to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. Now, some of these things are a little difficult to understand, and some of them are beyond our understanding. Uh, and we're going to look at a lot of scriptures today. Some of them I may just make reference to. I have so many here <laughs> that we, the meeting would be too long if we looked them all up. So some of them I'll just give to you, and you can look them up later if you have a pencil to write them down. Uh, but there's just so much on this subject in the, in the Bible that it's, it's overwhelming just to try to deal with it. So may the, may the Lord help us here as we seek to get a feel for what Jesus was saying here when he said, Before Abraham was, I am. So we're in this passage that relates to God coming to Moses uh, in the burning bush, a bush that was on fire and it didn't uh, burn up. Moses turned aside to look at this, and of course he realized something amazing was going on. Well, this was God coming to him after 40 years of being a shepherd in the land of Midian, after he'd run away from Egypt. The The Jewish people were in Egypt. And uh, Moses had thought that he would deliver him. He went out and uh, killed an Egyptian. Of course, killing one Egyptian is not going to deliver 
the people from the bondage that they were in. But he also realized, I'm probably in big trouble. So he left, got out of there, and went to be a shepherd in Midian for 40 years. And after 40 years, God shows up and speaks to him and uh, says, I'm going to send you back, and you're going to deliver my people. Well, Moses was a little bit concerned about that. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, go back there and try to deliver the people? Um, So in the midst of that uh, dialogue, we have this account beginning, I guess we'll start with verse 13. Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I shall say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they, they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And God furthermore said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my memorial. This is my name forever. And this is my memorial name to all generations. So you see, this is a very important passage. Uh, This revelation of something of the character of God. In fact, a foundational, I would say a foundational understanding of who God is. I am who I am. Now, I brought out last time that uh, in my New American Standard Bible, there's a little marginal marginal note in there. Maybe some of your Bibles have. I know some of you use the ESV. But if you have a, a a notation related to verse 14 in these verses we're looking at, it would probably say something like this. Related to the name of God, Y-H-W-H rendered Lord in all caps, which is derived from a verb which means to be. So this saying has to do with God's existence, his unique existence. And, it has, and the, uh, the actual word is uh, difficult to know how to say because they didn't put the vowels in. Y-H-W-H is what they had there. And the Jewish people originally in the Hebrew language knew what these words would be because they were speaking them orally. And, of course, when you say them, the the vowels would be in there. You'd have a way of saying that. But through the years, that was lost in terms of how that was actually said. So today, sometimes you'll see it, uh, Jehovah. But that's probably not the best way of rendering it. Yahweh is much more likely. And even that we're not absolutely sure of. But that's, uh, that's the one that's accepted most today, that it was actually pronounced Yahweh. So that's, that's what we're talking about here. This, this word, if you see it in the Old Testament, Lord, in all caps, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about Yahweh. Now there's a lowercase Lord that is uh, an- another word for God, but the one that's in, in uh, all caps is this word Yahweh. Um, so 
what's what's it talking about? What are we talking about? Well, we're talking about um, God's existence, His unique existence. He alone is totally self-existent, self-dependent, self-sustaining, and self-sufficient. He he's he, he's the only one who can really say. Uh, and affirm, I am that I am, or I am who I am, or I am the one who is. It's all different ways of thinking about what he was saying here. Now, it's true that I can stand here and say I am, and you can do the same thing. But the only reason you can say that is because there was a great I am, one who is the foundation of all other existence that's made you in his image. Uh, there was one philosopher named Rene Descartes who has a famous saying, I think, therefore I am. Well, that's all right, but uh, more proper it would be like, God is, therefore I am. <laughs> or the I am spoke and I am, or something like that. You, don't, you can't start from yourself. Nothing makes sense if you start from yourself. You've got to start with God. Uh, but arrogant humanity thinks they can say I am apart from God. And I just wanted to uh, point out a couple examples of what we're talking about here. See, our existence is totally derived from God. God's existence, he's self-sufficient and eternal. his, His existence is unique. Ours depends on him. But a lot of people won't recognize that. A lot of people don't recognize that. So I want to g- just give you a couple of examples here. Of, uh, I guess you would say they're kind of extreme examples in one way. Um, here's a reference. If you just, we won't look it up right now, but if you look at uh, Zephaniah 2:15, sometime you'll see that there was a, the ruler in Assyria at that time actually said, "I am, and there is none beside me." I mean, he actually said that. Uh, and you might say, well, that sounds arrogant. Well, listen to this one. Here's another. This, is, this isn't in the Bible, but it's from church history. They, they found some archaeological uh, artifact that had this inscription on it from a um, ruler of Assyria. This would be from about 850 B.C., so a little after the time of Solomon. And this is what he said. This is a guy named Asher Nasserpal. And uh, he was a ruler in Assyria. Now listen to this. I am regal. I am lordly. I am exalted. I am mighty. I am honored. I am glorified. I am preeminent. I am powerful. I am uh, valiant. I am lion brave. I am heroic. Asher Nasherpal, mighty king, king of Assyria. God says in Isaiah chapter 40, he merely breathes on them and they are no more. Well, that's an extreme example, but uh, in in the scriptures, again, you see uh, an account where Pharaoh actually says, my Nile, he's talking about looking out over the country that he's the ruler of, Pharaoh says, My Nile is mine. I myself have made it. 
these, we, we say, how do people say such a thing? Well, actually, we all say that in our own little way before we're Christians. We may not think we made denial, but we have this little area in our lives where we say, I'm going to do what I want to do. I am going to do what I'm going to do. And I like the way A.W. Tozer puts it in, the, in his book, Knowledge of the Holy. He says, because man is born a rebel, he is unaware that he is one. His constant assertion of self, as far as he thinks of it at all, appears to him to be perfectly, a perfectly normal thing. He is willing to share himself, sometimes even to sacrifice himself for a desired end, but never to dethrone himself. And then he says this, Sin has many manifestations, but its essence is one. A moral being created to worship before the throne of God sits on the throne of his own selfhood and from that exalted position declares, I am. That is sin in its concentrated essence. Just to, just to think that I can take a position, I am, in whatever area that I take it in and not really recognize that I, I am God's creation to begin with. That's what I am. I'm God's creation. I am dependent upon God, totally dependent upon God. All he has to do is breathe and I'm done for. He breathes and I don't breathe anymore. It's, it's arrogance, you see. So this is, this is what we're talking about here in contrast to the, the self-existent, self-dependent, self-sustaining, self-sufficient God. He's, he's totally independent. God, God is totally independent, autonomous, and free. He's not only independent in himself, but he's also, he causes everything else to depend on him. He needs nothing we can give him, but we desperately need him for life and breath and all things. In him we live and move and have our being. You'd have no being if it wasn't for the ultimate being, which is God. In him we live and move and have our being. We have our being in him. He has his being in himself. Without him there would be no other beings, including human beings, who, as we pointed out, can foolishly think that they can exist apart from God. So these are things we pointed out last time. Another thing that we just mentioned, just ways of trying to get this unimaginable concept across of what God is saying here in these verses uh, where he told Moses, I am that I am. He is the eternal one who existed forever before the creation of anything else. He existed forever before the creation of anything else. He is all that was eternally. Only Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God in three persons forever, forever, before anything else. The Trinity was there in a love relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, before there was anything else. Eternally, that's... You can't think of it. You see, it's incomprehensible to think of this love relationship between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit going on forever. I guess you'd say backwards. 
back, 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 back. It never was not. Love of God always existed. A loving relationship, infinite, eternal loving relationship in the Trinity. So one thing you can say for sure, there never was nothing. There always was something, or more accurately, accurately, there always, always was someone, the one who said, I am, that I am. It calls it his great memorial name, this YHWH, however it was say, said, Yahweh or Jehovah. It's used over 6,000 times in the Old Testament when God's referred to Yahweh. And whenever you see that word LORD in all caps, that's what's being referred to, Yahweh. You could just as well put Yahweh there as that word LORD in all caps. Um, Just one example from the Old Testament where that word is used. We didn't look at this one last time. This is in Isaiah 42.8. God says, I am the LORD, that is my name. And that Lord is all in caps, so uh, the equivalent, you could just as well translate that, I am Yahweh, that is my name. So we looked at some verses last time from the Old Testament that brings that out, and uh, I want to look at a few more uh, of these in a moment, but right now, just consider again what we're talking about. This is the phrase, this is what Jesus was referring to when he said, before Abraham was, before Abraham came into being, I am. Tremendous statement. I don't see, really I think it's probably the most uh, preeminent assertion of deity in the New Testament. And we can read right over it if we don't realize what, what he's saying and where it came from. When Jesus took this name and applied it to himself, I think it was making one of the greatest proclamations of his deity that could possibly be made. And of course, those who he was speaking to at that time knew enough from the Old Testament to know that what he was saying was either blasphemy or reality, and they would not accept it as reality, so they said it was blasphemy, and they picked up stones to stone him. They considered this name so sacred that they would not even say it. And Jesus not only said it, he said, it's, that's me. I am the I am. So they picked up stones to stone him, but he walked out, got out of there. God, it wasn't his time yet for, to be uh, killed. So he hid himself, and got away. What I'd like to do now, that was kind of a review. What I'd like to do now is pick up from there. Let's turn back to the New Testament uh, and uh, look at some other times where Jesus used this same uh, phrase concerning the I am being himself. Uh, So we're in John chapter 8. And uh, verse 23, John 8, 23. And he was saying to them, You are from below, I am from above. 
You are of the world, I am not of this world. I said therefore to you that you shall die in your sins unless you believe that I am, and it says the way it's put here in my scriptures, I am he. But if you if you noticed, at least the way it is here in the New American Standard, they have the he in italics because that's not in the original. That's not the way it was if you were reading the New Testament. In Greek, it would just say, unless you believe that I am. And this is a pretty strong statement. Think what he's saying here. He's saying, unless you believe that I'm the one referred to back there uh, in Exodus, unless you believe that I am, you'll die in your sins. In other words, this, this is significant enough. It has to do with your eternal destiny, whether you believe this or not. So pretty powerful. Unless you believe that I am, you shall die in your sins. And then let's turn to uh, John thirteen nineteen. The context here is Jesus eating with his disciples at what is sometimes called the Last Supper. It was a Passover meal that Jesus ate with his disciples only hours before he was crucified. So, John thirteen nineteen. From now on, I am telling you before it comes to pass, so that when it does occur, you may believe that I am. And again, there's a he there, but it's not in the original. It's just that you may believe that I am. Now, why did he say that to his disciples? Well, I think, first of all, I don't think they probably understood what he was saying, but that's the point. He's saying you're not, you probably don't understand this now, but you will when you start seeing these scriptures fulfilled. This had to do with Judas betraying him and him being crucified. He said when you start seeing the, the scriptures fulfilled from the Old Testament that relate to me uh, and my betrayal and crucifixion, he said, then, then you'll believe that I am the I am. You'll realize that uh, these things referred to me. So we also see Jesus making a similar statement towards the end of the book of Revelation. So let's turn to the book of Revelation. This, of course, after Jesus has r- risen from the dead and ascended uh, back to heaven. And actually this this passage we're reading now has to do with the end times uh, when Christ comes again. Um, So let's see, Revelation 22, verse 12 and 13. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me. I, to render to every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Now, now why is that significant? Well, that's significant because that is a quote from the Old Testament, Isaiah 44, 6. And if you look back to that quote where, where it's, uh, God says, I am the Alpha and Omega, it's uh, Lord, all in caps. So it's Yahweh saying this. 
Did I lose anybody there? If well, let's look back. <laughs> Trying to avoid flipping around so much, but I probably better do it. Get the uh, so Isaiah chapter forty-four. Okay, so Isaiah forty-four six. Thus says the Lord, now, see, that's all in caps, so you could just as well read, Thus says Yahweh, the I Am. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. Again, there's all caps, Lord. I am the first, and I am the last, and there is no God beside me. So, this quote here when when this is said, has to do with Yahweh saying, I am the first and the last. But if you go to the New Testament here, <clears throat> in the book of Revelation, this is Christ, the risen Christ, the ascended Christ, saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So what we're saying is that Jesus consciously took this phrase that applied to Yahweh in the Old Testament and used it for himself here in, in the book of Revelation. Uh, so it's, it's just another way of saying that Yahweh is referring to me when you see it in the scriptures. Uh, so that's some things where Christ applies that to himself, that uh, statement of I am to himself. But on top of these statements, we also see that the New Testament writers went to the, quoted the Old Testament scriptures, which clearly referred to Yahweh, and applied them to Christ. And there's a number of these, and we won't take time to look at them all this morning, but I just want to point out one or two of them. So let's turn to Matthew chapter 3. Now, I don't want to lose anybody here if, it's, I don't, if it gets, it's not super complicated, but sometimes the way it comes through my mouth makes it more complicated than it should be. <laughs> so so uh, here in, uh, in Matthew chapter 3, we have this reference to John the, John the Baptist as a forerunner to Christ. And he said that he was a voice crying in the wilderness. Make straight the ways of the Lord. So um, let's just look at verse 3. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Now, John the Baptist was a forerunner of Christ, so when he says, make ready the way of the Lord, he is referring to Christ, right? That's who, that's who he was a forerunner for. But if you look back in the Old Testament, where this is taken from, which is Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, let's turn back. A lot of, a lot of turning around, flipping back and forth, but I don't know a better way to do it. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3. 
a voice is calling, clear the way of the Lord. Now see that right there, Lord, is all caps, so that could be uh, rendered, clear the way for Yahweh in the wilderness, make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. And goes on and talks about uh, um, Christ's coming. So the point is that when that was said in the Old Testament, it referred to Yahweh. When it's said in the New Testament, they're using it in terms of, of Christ. Raise your hand if you got lost. You understand? Okay. No hands. That's good. Well, um, the scriptures that refer to Yahweh in the Old Testament are used to refer to Christ in the New Testament. It's just another way of showing that what Christ was doing there when he said, before Abraham was, I am, it was something the New Testament writers picked up on too. They realized Christ is Yahweh. He's the one. He's that I am. The one who said I am, that I am. Well, um, I, I don't know how many of these I should give you. Let me just tell you this one. You can look it up later. Romans 10, chapter 13, uh, is referring, clearly referring to Christ. But if you go back in the Old Testament to where the, the, the phrase is taken from, it's in Joel chapter 2, verse 32. It's, it's again referring to Yahweh. Uh, those who call upon the name of Yahweh will be delivered. That's the way it is in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, in Romans uh, ten thirteen, those who call upon the name of the Lord uh, will be saved. And it's obvious from the context that the Lord there is Christ. So again, it's that same idea of taking an Old Testament reference that refers to Yahweh and applying it to Christ. Um, so what we emphasized last week was how this memorial name carried with it the idea of God's self-sufficiency and self-existence, his transcendence. He's far above, infinitely above everything else. Uh, but actually, this name Yahweh also speaks of his eminence, his being present with his people. He, when, it, when we're talking about his being, is not just something we think of out there somewhere. It's, it's his presence right here with his, with his people. In fact, that's, I think that's part of why uh, God told Moses to go tell the people, this is my name, I am that I am. I am sent me unto you. In other words, I care about you. The I am cares about you right there in Egypt. You and your trouble, you and your... Uh, very difficult situation. So we see that there's a personal caring aspect to this name, uh, Yahweh. And I think one of the best ways to see that <clears throat> is to see another place that it, where Moses uses this phrase. So let's turn back to Exodus chapter 33. This is a famous account here where Moses asked to see God's glory. So Exodus 33. 
and verse, <clears throat> we'll begin with verse 18. So 33, 18. Then Moses said, I pray thee, show me thy glories. Asking God to show him his glory. And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. So he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to proclaim my name before you. And then if you skip down to verse, uh, chapter 34, verse 6. Then the Lord, all caps, Yahweh, then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, Yahweh, the Lord, Yahweh, twice. He didn't want you to miss it. Didn't want Moses to miss it. Yahweh, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. But the emphasis is on God's loving kindness, his mercy, his care, his tender compassion, his graciousness. So when, when we think of Yahweh and we think of all that's encompassed in the great transcendent aspect of this name, his eternal existence, his self-sufficiency and all those things, we should also think of his compassion and his care, uh, his presence with his people. It's a tremendous description of his character. So, just to put it in a nutshell, the transcendent one is also the imminent one, the one right there with us, if we will trust in him, the one who cares for his people. So, uh, if you're still tracking with me, I've got a bunch more scripture, but we won't look all these up. What I'd like to do is just point out some Old Testament examples of where this name Yahweh is combined with other terms to describe God's relationship to his people. So they take this name Yahweh, various writers in the Old Testament, various uh, examples in the Old Testament, and combine it with some other terms to show God's care and concern for his people, his relationship to his people, how he takes care of them and is with them in a special way. And what I hope to do as we look through these Old Testament examples of uh, Yahweh's care for his people to see that these actually apply to Christ also. Um, So what I want to do here is put these various names on, or at least some of them, on the screen and uh, go through them just briefly as... uh, Examples of how Christ actually fulfills these names. Uh, let me see how we do with the lights off. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, some of you on that side won't have, won't be able to see these very well. But um, what these are are places where the name Yahweh is combined with another thought or another term 
to bring out some aspect of God's character in relationship to his people. And probably the first one is the most famous one. Uh, you've probably heard it, Jehovah Jireh, but we, we've, I've tried to tell you that the name Jehovah is probably not the best way of understanding this, this name for God. It's better uh, Yahweh. So Yahweh Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. Now, that is from Genesis chapter 22, verse 14. We won't look it up. You should know this account where Abraham was told to go up and sacrifice his son Isaac. And uh, he goes up, and as he's about to do that, about to uh, sacrifice his son, God stops him. And in the midst of that, you know, God provides a ram there caught in the, in the thicket, and that's used as a sacrifice. Well, it's a tremendous picture of God. God's sending his son as a sacrifice for sin, uh, which, by the way, this, this took place on the same area, in the same, well, Mount Moriah, where uh, the, uh, this took place with, with Abraham. Later is where the temple was built there uh, in Jerusalem, right on the same spot. So there's thousands of sacrifices made there in that area, uh, lambs and goats and everything else being sacrificed. But all that, and this account from Abraham too, all had to do pointing forward to the one true lamb that God would provide. So this phrase, uh, Yahweh Jireh, means the Lord will provide. And so as Christians, we recognize that God provided the true lamb of God. That's what uh, when John... John first saw him, John the Baptist first saw him. He said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Finally, God provided the true one real sacrifice that this, this first account was uh, a picture of with uh, Yahweh Jireh. Well, the next one then. Uh, some of these we won't look up. Uh, just have too many. Uh, Yahweh Rapha. I am Yahweh who heals you. The account there, you might remember it. They had come out of Egypt, passed through the Red Sea, went out into the desert, and they were there for a number of days, and no water. They got thirsty. They come across some waters, but they can't drink when they're so bitter. So, so God tells Moses, throw this particular tree into the water. And so those bitter waters were made sweet. In other words, they were made so that they could be healed and from the thirst and the uh, uh, problems that they were having for lack of hydration. And so God says in the midst of that, I am Yahweh who heals you, Yahweh Rapha. Um, and, of course, we see how this applies to Christ. Christ, went, in his time here on earth, went around healing, doing good and healing those that were sick. But more than that, we're told that Christ is our healer. By his wounds we are healed, we're told. So again, Christ, the second one, Christ, Christ is the fulfillment of that. He was Yahweh Rapha in the ultimate sense. Uh, so let's see. 
I may not be saying some of these exactly the way if you had a Jewish person up here speaking to you. But this one, next one, Yahweh Shamal, which is the Lord is there or the Lord is present. And um, why don't we look this one up just uh, quickly here. Um, this is kind of a difficult one. I would have put it at the end of the list, and I'll, I'll show you why in a minute. But, but uh, Ezekiel 48.35. Ezekiel 48.35. Now, the situation, I have to give you a little background here. The people of God, through many different situations, had turned from God. This is uh, after the time of, of the uh, division of the kingdoms, and they weren't following God. So God took the glory, we're told in Ezekiel, the glory departed from Jerusalem. But Ezekiel also prophesied that the glory would return to Jerusalem. God's glory would be there again. He would be present in Jerusalem. And um, so just this one verse uh, at the end of Ezekiel. This city shall be 1,800 cubits, 18,000 cubits round about. And the name of the city from that day shall be the Lord is there. If you have a little marginal note, you see again that that's uh, Y-H-W-H, Yahweh, uh, Shamao. So that that phrase, Yahweh Shamao, means the Lord is there or the Lord is present. Well, when did that really happen? Well, you could say, well, Christ did come to the city of Jerusalem uh, and God's glory was there. But it, I don't think that's what it's referring to. I think this is, that's why I'd put this at the end of the list. I think this is actually referring to the new Jerusalem where God's glory in Christ is right there, present in a way that we can't even know now. So uh, I guess we'll turn to Revelation chapter 21. This is, uh, this is how I think this one's fulfilled in Christ also. Revelation 21 Verse 2 and 3, and 22 and 23. So 21, verse 2, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. So there's God tabernacling, tabernacling with man, being dwelling with man, his presence there. And he shall dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. And then if you turn over to 20, uh, uh, verse 22, same chapter. And I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need for the sun or moon to shine upon it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. So I think that one, uh, the Lord being present with his people, it ultimately has to do with the new heaven 
in the new earth, the new Jerusalem. Uh, so again, fulfilled in Christ. Um, Yahweh Shalom. Yahweh Shalom. Well, we know what Shalom means. Our peace. Yahweh is our peace. The Lord is our peace. That's from Judges 6.24. We won't take the time to look, look that one up. But uh, again, this has to do... Gideon had seen the angel of the Lord. God comes to him and says, you know, I'm going to use you to deliver the people. And Gideon kind of protests. But he's also afraid because he realizes, you know, that he's been in the presence of God. He might die from being in the presence of God. God says, my peace is with you. And so... um, Gideon builds an altar there, and he names it the Lord our peace. Uh, So how's that? Well, obviously that applies to Christ. Uh, Jesus said, My peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Romans uh, 5, 1 says, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 13 and 14 says, Christ is our peace. So again, Yahweh Shalom, how's that ultimately fulfilled? That's fulfilled in Christ. Um, well, we're going to do the rest of these even quicker. Yahweh Nisi, the Lord our banner. The idea of a banner there is a rallying place, a place to rally around. Uh, this had to do with the victory over the Amalekites back in Exodus 17. But who, you know, what's our real rallying point? Christ, he's our banner, he's our rallying point. We overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. The next one, uh, there's different ways that I've seen this referred to. It's either Yahweh Rohi, and that's not the one they have on this one, Yahweh Raha, the Lord is our shepherd. Well, you know where that one is. That's... that's uh, Psalm 23, and this, basically David is there, you know, realizing my relationship to the sheep is like God's relationship to me. He's my, he's my shepherd. Well, who's our real shepherd? Well, Yahweh, Yahweh Raha is our shepherd, but we know that that's ultimately fulfilled in Christ. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25, calls Christ the shepherd and guardian of our souls. So again, that, that uh, reference to Yahweh is fulfilled in Christ. Uh, this one, I'm not sure how to say it for sure. Yahweh to Sid canoe something like that. What it means is the Lord is our righteousness. And you might want to look that one up sometime. That's in Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6. Yahweh to The Lord our righteousness. Well, that one is so obvious that Christ is a fulfillment of that. God alone provides the righteousness that we need for sinful people and he provides it in Christ comes to us from in Jesus Christ. 
who became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He's the one. He's he's our righteousness. Christ is. Uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 verse 30. By his doing you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So again, that ultimately is, finds its fulfillment in Christ. Well, there's others, uh, but we, uh, we just, I'm going past where I intended, so we won't do any more. Uh, but I do just want to point out, what, emphasize here, these various Old Testament names demonstrate that this memorial name for God, Yahweh, the, the I Am, can rightfully be applied to Christ. All these that we've looked at and many more find their true fulfillment in Christ, who said before Abraham came into being, I Am. He's the God who is. He's the God who is there for us and with us. Um, He's the God who will provide. He's the God who is our peace, our healer, our righteousness, our sanctification, our banner, and our shepherd. All those we see the reality of who Christ is in relationship to these names in the Old Testament. Well, one last thing then, and then I'll be done. I just want you to realize that Jesus' very name incorporates the name Yahweh. Jesus, the name Jesus is transliterated from the Hebrew and the Aramaic uh, I'm trying to think if I need to transliterated is different than translated and if I give you my translation of what transliterated means you won't get it So you just have to look it up sometime on your own. But uh, the the name in Hebrew is Yeshua. Yeshua. That's where we get the name Jesus from. But Yeshua, the Yeh of the Yeshua, refers to Yahweh. And Jesus' name means, I about said Jehovah, Yahweh saves. That's what Jesus' name means. Yahweh saves. Or Yahweh is salvation. So this name, then his name, reveals his mission and his identity. Now let's turn to Matthew. I just want to point this last thing out here and I'll be done. Matthew chapter 1. Hope I can get this across. It was a blessing to me last night as I was thinking on this. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21. See, account of Jesus' Jesus's birth. And she, that is Mary, will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. It is he this one whose name is Jesus, whose name means Yahweh saves. It's he that will save 
his people from their sins. So his very name testifies of the fact that he's, he, he's Yahweh. He's the one that saves his people from their sins. Right there in his name. That's why there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Only Yahweh can save us. Only Christ. In him, that is in Christ, Yahweh is salvation. Um, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Through his name. Understanding that this, this is God in the flesh come to save a fallen world. And we're told that someday every knee will bow to this name, this name which is above every other name, Jesus, the great I Am. So, there's so much to deal with, and I I know this has been pretty scattered and probably... uh, not as edifying as it should be because this is a tremendously edifying thing to think on and contemplate and realize and apply in our lives. Uh, that the I am is for me. The I am died for me. The self-sufficient one who didn't need anything from anybody. The eternal one. How can it be? We belong to him rightfully. He's our maker, but he's also our redeemer. He's our righteousness, our shepherd. All these things we've looked at here in this, in this list and many more. Well, all right. Um, I thought we could close with the same song that we closed with last time because it fits so well. Uh, we will glorify. Why don't we stand? <laughs>